Good morning. Thank you for uh, praying for us and several others who were gone this past week. Um, we, uh, Our family had a good time in Iowa and enjoyed me, uh, getting together with our family. And they send you their greetings, my in-laws, that is. And uh, we had a, a busy and relaxful time both. So uh, it's good. It's a good time to to get away and to spend time with family. But we're glad to be back. And um, appreciate Bill filling in for me last week. Um, and this week we want to continue what we looked at. Uh, what we were looking at the previous eleven weeks. And now we want to just finish up these last two weeks. So actually, we took a break there, and we we took it. We looked at an introduction to our church. Uh, for three weeks, and so it's actually been quite a while, about a month since we've looked at biblical counseling, and so we want to do that this morning, continue where we left off. Um, if our church is going to grow spiritually, then we need we need uh, people in need of change helping others who are in need of change, and so in the first four classes, we laid down the foundation uh, for biblical counseling by seeing that the goal of counseling is a changed heart and that that if we just get someone to change their behaviors that we have not succeeded, that that isn't enough, is not enough because eventually the heart will develop other wrong behaviors. And um, obviously you can have someone who's actually all buttoned up on the outside, who's got all their behaviors looking proper while their heart is completely corrupt. So... We need to uh, we need to work at getting toward the heart. And as we're doing this, as we're trying to target the heart in the person's life, as we're helping them change, we do all of this in love. And so we took a couple of weeks to look at the aspect of love. That is that that our help, our helping them toward the scriptures is actually going to not be effective if we do not do it in in love. Um, the way that that people grow, the way that you and I grow, is as people speak the truth to one another in love. That we that we do it with a loving heart. We also looked at the topic of knowing. So as love, know, speak, do, know. Uh, we want to to make sure that we understand what the challenge is. We don't want to just assume that we we know all the problems and all the background and and all the things that are going on. We want to try to know. So that means we need to organize the data uh, as as we receive it and put it under four manageable hooks. And we talked about how to do that. Just, you know, ask good questions. Understand what what was the situation? What was going on? How did they respond to the situation? Um, what were they thinking about what was going on? And then what were their motives? And, and those are will help us start to manage. Okay, now that we see Okay, what was going on? Let's talk about what the scriptures say about what was going on. Now that we see what they thought about that, let's talk about how our thoughts actually determine our actions. And we use scriptural examples and scriptural principles and commands to help drive them to the right point. And that's the next point, which is speak. So love, no speak. That is, we speak the truth of God to them, that we want to see them uh, grow up into all aspects and to Him who is the head even Christ, that we want to see every uh, thought captive to the obedience of Christ, that, that it's not enough for them to just, okay, I've got this big thing that I'm working with and I want to get rid of this. It's not enough for that. We want to see them actually 
put every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And so we speak the truth to them. And um, and then finally, the aspect of do. That um, genuine change has not happened until genuine change has happened. And so we want to see that genuine change happen. We want to see them actually move toward obedience. Remember, We've been seeing in the Gospel of Luke that it's not enough for a person just to hear the Word of God, right? It's that they need to respond to it. So you could actually speak the truth of God to them in a manner of love. They could accept it and accept it humbly. Uh, maybe, maybe we could argue about that part of it, but but because hum, humbly accepting it means actually responding to it. So they could accept it graciously, let's say, and in, in a, a proper attitude and yet not do anything about it, right? And so they haven't actually seen change happen. They actually haven't um, seen the Holy Spirit do any work because they have been resistant to change. And so we want to see genuine change. And so there are two ways in which we get move them to actually change, okay? And, and that's obviously leading up to, or that's including all these things we've already talked about, that we are loving them along the way and we're, we're speaking the truth to them. And we're understanding properly, but if we're going to see them change, then then um, we need to um, we need to set out our personal ministry agenda. So, what is it that that we need to know about them, and what what kind of of direction do we need to give them? Because that's often what needs to happen is is people know what the right thing is to do; they just don't know how to get there. And so, we want to help set a direction for them. And then secondly, we want to um, we want to clarify responsibility. Clarify responsibility. And that was the two circles that I talked about um, that Paul Tripp uses in his book as well as uh, Jerry Bridges is the first time I came across it. The idea of our personal responsibility inside of that circle we're supposed to obey. And then the larger circle is outside of our responsibility. Everything else that's going on in the world, everything that's going on in my spouse's life, my family member's life, my, you know, the church member's lives, I can't actually control that. Now, I can influence them to a degree, but I can't control these things that are outside of my control, right? And so those things, instead of trying to change all those so that my responsibilities change, now I take responsibility for myself and then I entrust everything else to God. I trust that God will will take care of the rest. So those are the that's the that's how we um, clarify responsibility. I want to look at two more aspects of this this final part of the counseling um, process or agenda, and it is to do so. So to uh, you'll see it on the front of your sheet there. Establish your personal ministry agenda, clarify responsibility, and then today we want to look at instill identity with Christ and provide accountability. All right. So the, the third objective is to instill identity with Christ on the next page. But before we get there, let's have a word of prayer and ask God's help as we, as we look into this, into His Word and to this material. Lord, thank You for uh, Your grace in our lives. Thank You for bringing us to this place. Thank You for those who had an opportunity to be away and just to be refreshed. And I pray that, that You would uh, just draw us back to Yourself and, and use us for Your glory in this place and and in our relationships. We pray that You'd help us now as we look into Your Word and, and seek to understand it and apply it to our own lives as we counsel ourselves, really, and also as we 
help others who also are in need of change. Lord, help us to humbly submit ourselves to your word by obeying it and uh, putting it into practice. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. If we're going to help someone apply the truth of God to their own life, then then we we need to give them both encouragement and accountability. Encouragement and accountability. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian, you are not meant to live in isolation. Okay, no Christian is designed to live in isolation. You you need people around you who can encourage you and keep you accountable. And and uh, newsflash, I need people around me that can encourage and, account, and and keep me accountable as well. Okay, because we all are in need of genuine change. And w- and when we say change, sometimes we think of you know um, a complete change. Like I was this way, and I need to turn to that way. But but a lot of times it's just a refining. Sometimes it is the complete change we need. We've turned the wrong way, and we need to make a complete complete uh, change, a, a 180. But a lot of times is when, when I say change, I, I mean refining, that, that we need to be better in this area because we're a little bit off base on that one. And so we need people who are, are encouraging us and helping to keep us accountable. And so in order to do that, I think we need to, to look at these next two objectives. Okay, we looked at the last two last month. But the third objective is this, instill identity with Christ. Instill identity with Christ. I don't know if you are uh, have been around too many rich kids. Um, if not, hang out with Evan for a little while. He's, he's uh, why is that funny? Oh, not really. <laughs> um, I came across a few uh, growing up and, and even in the work, uh, in the workplace, and have you ever come across the rich kid who just complains about his finances? He's just frustrated about how tough things are. And just thinking, do you realize who your father is? Do you realize how much money you have at your disposal? All you have to do is go ask him. Do you realize how much you have? I'm afraid that as Christians we act the same way as, as that rich kid if we're not reminded of who we are in Christ. We have all these riches in store, and yet we complain about our situation as if we have nothing. As if we have nothing at our disposal. And the Bible tells us that we are not only forgiven, that we are not only uh, uh, justified, even though we have, we have uh, c- committed a capital offense, a capital offense against our king, but we also have been adopted into his family. That we are a part of the family of the King of Kings. And that's why 1 John 3, 1 says, you know, how great a love that, that God has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. That we could be a part of the family of God. And, and I love that last phrase, and such we are. We, we are a part of God's family. Now look at Ephesians 2, 6 and 7. Here we see this identity with Christ. And would someone read verses 6 and 7? What I want you to listen for is the phrase in Christ or with Christ in these three verse or in these two verses. Ephesians 2, 6 and 7. Someone read that. 
Okay? So you have several phrases there, uh, prepositional phrases that talk about being with Christ or with, with Jesus or in Christ. So verse 6, raised up with Him, seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come He might show the surpassing riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So we have been given all of the, the, the same benefits that Jesus has as, his, as, as the Son of God Himself. That we are adopted into the family of God and now are, as Paul says in another place, co-heirs with Jesus Christ. So, so we have all these benefits at our disposal and for us to say, you know, we, yeah, we'd like to change and, and we'd like to move on toward the right direction, toward righteousness, but you know, I, I just don't have the resources I need to get there. And God's saying, yes, you do. Okay? You are a rich kid. You have all the resources that you need to move toward righteousness. And so we need to help people to instill into them a gospel identity. That is, that they are in Christ. That they, have a, they are united with Christ. This is what theologians call union with Christ. That, that we are united with Christ in His death. That as He died on the cross, so we died. Our sins died, basically. Our, our, our old selves died with Christ. And, and just as He lived a perfect life, we live a, a life that is in, in a right standing before God. Not without sin, but, but that our, His life is credited to our account. So that when God sees us, He sees Christ. We are united with Christ in that way. In fact, if we were to look at Romans 6, it talks about that idea of, of union with Christ. And, and the, the application of that is that we should not continue allowing our sin to reign in our mortal bodies. We should not allow it to, to continue to happen because we are dead to sin because we have died to that sin having been in Christ. It's hard for us to remember who we are until we've um, been in a trial for a long time. Uh, sometimes it's the opposite way. It's hard for us to forget who we are until we've been in a trial for a long time. You know, we appreciate all the benefits that God has given to us. But as the trial begins, we remember who we are. We remember who we are in Christ. We remember what God has promised. But then as the trial continues and goes on day after day and week after week and possibly year after year, then we tend to define ourselves based on the problem rather than on who we are, on our relationship with God. We turn to Second Peter now, Second Peter chapter one. I want to make several observations here from Second Peter one that help to to move us toward the change that we need and and help others as well. Obviously, this is in the context of of us helping others, but but part of the challenge is, is that we are not without sin, and so we need to help ourselves as well and be willing to, to have other people help us also. So Second Peter chapter 1 and beginning of verse 3. We'll start at verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. For by these He has granted to us... Okay, think of yourself as the rich kid. 
to us His precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. And that last verse really is a summary of what I was talking about earlier. That is that that sometimes we, we forget who we are in Christ. That we become blind and short-sighted to all the great benefits that we have. And those kind of people are, are um, notice verse 8, they are unfruitful and, and useless. They are useless and unfruitful. People who, who do not appropriate all the blessings that they have in Christ and then move that toward a, a, a point of greater righteousness. That's what this progression is talking about here in verses 5 through 7. You have add to your faith. And then it, it goes through all these virtues and it leads up to love. That is, I, I think there's a, a progression that's going on that, that as we um, start out as Christians, we need to add to our faith um, what is it, diligence there? Yeah, a diligence. Uh, we use diligence. We add moral excellence. And then to our moral excellence, knowledge. Not that we can only get to one of those at a time, but I think what's happening is we, we, we have an emphasis on those as we move through our lives. Um, and, and so we need to be people who, who recognize who we are in Christ and then use that to move toward change. Notice verse 3. We have been given everything that we need for life and godliness. Not only do we have enough for a meaningful physical life, but also we, we can do everything that God calls us to do in a God-honoring way. 1 Corinthians 10 says there's always a way of escape. We might think, well, you know, there's so many temptations that are holding me back. There are so many temptations that I can't overcome. I can't, I can't win against these temptations. And the Bible says, no, you, you have everything that you need for life and godliness. And you can move toward change. God has given you the means to do that. doesn't mean it's going to be easy. doesn't mean you're going to do it on the first time. But we have the means that are necessary. <coughs> the next observation from this passage is that the goal of God's provision is not personal happiness. Do you notice that after God speaks, through the through the apostle Peter there, um, he speaks about giving you everything that you need for life and godliness. He doesn't go on to talk about all the the riches and the great health that you're going to have, and, and the lack of of difficulty and the the really nice family and the, the the great neighborhood and and nice vacations and retirement and so on. Instead, he says, "I'm going to to work in you to be able to be able to partake of the divine nature." It is a life that's being freed from the slavery to the evil desires. That's what the divine nature is all about. It's freed from the slaves of the evil desires. And God's saying, I'm going to have, let you have a taste of that by moving you to a position where you can be freed 
from those sinful pleasures. Um, and so that's where I think God is, is working on our hearts. If our hearts are ruled by evil desires, we will participate in the corruption of the world. We tend to think that the corruption of the world causes our own individual corruption, right? We see all the corruption out there and we say, well, if I didn't have this, 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 all these things around me and feeding my mind, then I wouldn't be so corrupt. But notice verse 4. So that by them you may become, middle of the verse, you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust, by our own lust. That is, it's not that the corruption of the world causes our lust. It's the opposite, actually. It's our lust, our sinful desires, our wrong choices that actually cause the corruption of the world. I think it was uh, G.K. Chesterton, Chesterton who wrote into a newspaper one time when there's a, a article in there about the corruption that's in the world and all the things that are wrong. And he wrote, on, wrote in um, to the editor and said... Um, you know, the greatest problem is in the world is me. You know, the, the greatest, that sounds a lot like the Apostle Paul. You know, that, that I am the worst of sinners. Right? I, it, he started out as, I'm the worst of the apostles. I, I'm, I'm the least of all the apostles, he says. And then later on in his life, he says, I'm the, the least of all saints. And then as he gets to the end of his life and he sees himself in the face of God more clearly, he says, I'm the, the worst of sinners. And um, and I think he recognized that, that the corruption of the world was part, in part due to his own corruption in his heart. And we, we tend to look at it the other way. Um, but the main point that we want to, to draw from this passage is verses 5 through 8, that when we live according to our identity in Christ, when we recognize who we are in Christ, it will change the way that we live. It will make us neither useless nor unfruitful, verse 8. We'll not be satisfied with little fruit or little change. You know, we're not going to be satisfied with, a, you know, a slightly better performance than we did before. Or, you know, a marginally good relationship. Well, at least we're still together, that sort of thing. We're not going to be satisfied with that. Instead, we will pursue great acts of godliness because of all the resources that we have stored up for us in Christ. Suppose I inherited $50 million from a distant relative and I called up Jennifer to let her know and I immediately rushed to the bank to withdraw $10,000. We're going to New York. We're going to get a steak dinner that's going to be uh, off the chain, as the kids say today. Okay, And so I take the whole family. We, we fly there. Two months go by and Jennifer's thinking, you know, where is all this money that you said you had that you inherited? Because I, I'm struggling here to to pay the bills that, that we have as it is. We're living as if we're as poor as we've ever been. So why don't you go draw some more, withdraw some more from that inheritance that you received? And my response is, you know how hard it is to go down to the bank and to draw out money? I mean, first, you have to go downtown and you have to go through all this annoying traffic. And second, they won't let you draw withdraw that uh, a, a large amount of money from the drive-thru. And so I have to go into the, to the bank and find parking and all this. And I wait in a long line. And then they make me stamp my thumb on, on uh, one of their documents like I'm a criminal or something. 
It's just too, just too much of a hassle. What would Jennifer say to me? You idiot! Right? Okay, she's never called me that, but I think if I did that, if I wasn't willing to withdraw that money, I think she could call me an idiot and it would be okay. Um, you idiot. You know, you're rich. You can have anything that you want. You have this inheritance that's been given to you. So keep going to the bank no matter how hard it is and take what is rightfully yours. Or maybe a better way to say it is to receive what is rightfully yours. It sounds bad. If we, oh, take, take it from God. Okay? The idea here is we have this great inheritance in God that He has provided for us everything, everything that we need for life and godliness. And we are like me, the idiot me, who doesn't go to to God and say, God, I am going to receive all that you have given me so that I can move myself to a place of greater change, of righteousness. Now, I have to uh, be honest with you that it's not easy to appropriate the inheritance that we have in God. That you will go through much difficulty when you go to the bank of God's goodness, but, but recognize that that bank is there and it's ready for you to, to, uh, to move toward a place of a, a more vital relationship with God, a, 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 more, um, a, a deeper relationship with God. So we have everything that we need for life and godliness, and our job is to, to go and and receive it from God so that we can go through this progress, verses 5 through 7, of adding to our faith virtue. Okay. Now, that doesn't mean that, that this bank of God's goodness is full of lots of physical money. Okay, that It's true that God does have the ability to give you as much as He wants, but that's not the point. We don't go to God's goodness asking for physical money or physical health and those sorts of things, although that's not wrong to do. But the, the main thing that He's promised you and that you know that you have is the ability to grow in your relationship with God. Is the, the ability, because you are identified with Christ, that you have the ability to go to that storehouse and draw from that and, and grow. And so this is how we lead people to change. This is how we lead ourselves to change. Help them to recognize and instill in them that they are identified with Christ. They have this great inheritance. Remind them of God's presence and God's love for them. And then help them help them move them toward change. And that, that leads us to our last objective. Uh, provide accountability. Any questions on instilling identity with Christ? If you're going to be able to help someone um, change, then, then this is a critical thing to, to understand. Any questions? All right, provide accountability. Provide accountability. Final objective here in the, the do aspect. So we're looking at love, two weeks, know, speak, and do. And now we're, we're trying to, to see how we, how we can get them to move them to change. We instill identity with Christ. And then give them accountability. Because honestly, you could, you could work with somebody and you could speak the truth to them in love and you could actually help them to understand their identity in Christ. But they could quickly fall back into their former sin very easily, in fact, if you don't provide accountability. And so this is this is also important and it's a very loving gift that you can that you can give to them. You know, accountability carries negative connotations as if 
you know, we're standing over their shoulder and just waiting for them to mess up and then we're going to pounce on them. Okay, that's not the kind of accountability that the Bible calls for. Instead, accountability is designed to assist people in doing right for the long run. Assist people in doing right for the long run. Our job as a disciple maker is not to become the person's conscience, you know, or we're going to force you to do this. Uh, but instead, it, it is to come alongside them in a spirit of love and to provide the accountability that they need. That Listen, if you're committed to change, then I'm here to help you. And that's why it's often a, a, a great uh, sign of maturity when someone actually asks for accountability from you. Because it's, it's not that they, they want to hide, right? A lot of times we want to go and hide. We don't want our sin exposed. But, but to ask for accountability says, listen, I'm coming out into the open and I'm saying um, that, that I'm struggling with this and I need someone to help because I want to, I want to run to God. And um, see, the problem is, is that a person who is running and that wants to hide, what they need is not someone to lovingly come alongside of them. And I mean, it does need to be done in love, but they don't need someone to to kind of walk along with them and move them toward change. Instead, what they need is rebuke. Right? Get off of that path, right? And and But if you have someone that's running to God and says, listen, I want to to, to eliminate this sin. I, I want to, to do what is right. Then if you have someone like that, then, then that shows a great sign of maturity. And that's a person that you want to provide accountability for. And that's actually a, a very loving thing to do. Well, let's talk about what accountability provides here next. Accountability provides first structure. Uh, you see it there, structure. Um, sin and its consequences are often so difficult to get out of that we need someone who can come along and say, here, here are a few things that you ought to do for this period of time. Just give them some short goals and, and challenges that, that they need to work through. Uh, I've often used the example of of the way that we get into our sin is not like, you know, we've gone down this path and now to get on the right path, we just need to take this shortcut and now we're back on the right path. Instead, I use the illustration of, of lowering ourselves down into a well and, you know, seemed kind of fun and interesting at the beginning, but then over time it started to get a little dark and cold and lonely and that's the, the idea of, of us lowering ourselves into our sin. Now we want to get out, right? We want to get out. Get me out of this well. Do we just instantly end up on land? No, it's going to take some work, both on the part of the person who's helping pull up and the part on, uh, of your own, of holding on or pulling yourself up. And so, um, you know, we can wander into sin, but we can't, can't wander out, out of it, right? We can't wander out of sin. It's like going up a hill. You can kind of slide your you can slide your way down, but you can't slide your way up. Okay, that's the nature of sin, and so we need accountability. We need some structure that says just to a person who like I know I want to do what's right. I know what is right. I just don't know how to get there. And so here's here's you coming along and saying, all right, let's put up a few guardrails. Okay, someone who's struggling with pornography, pornography, for example. Or, or visiting some, you know, some places they shouldn't go. Well, listen, you're not going to go down this road. You're not even going to go down that street. You're going to take the long way around. It's going to take you longer to get home. 
It's going to take you longer to get to work because you can't go down that street. Okay, And, and that sounds legalistic, but actually what we're doing there is we're helping to provide a, a short-term solution for a long-term uh, a, a long-term uh, solution. We want we want to see a victory here, and so if if they struggle with going to a certain place or going by a certain place because they're tempted in a the wrong way, then hey, let's not go that way. Okay, there's just some basic things, or you know what, you need to be reading the scripture, you need to be hearing from God every day. Okay, those are some just some basic parameters that we're saying. Here's some structure for you. Over the next week, I want you to read this passage of Scripture, then come back and talk to me about it. Okay, that's, that's accountability. Okay, sometimes we think, okay, well, we've heard their problem. We've told them the solution to their problem. Now, have fun. No, we need to help provide accountability for them. Give them a little bit of structure. Say, Here, here's some things you can do in the short term that will help you in the long term. Right? Okay, guidance. Accountability provides guidance. Often a person who is looking for help will want change and want to do what's right, but they don't know how. So you are helping them with the where and the how and the when. So when these temptations come up, here's what I want you to do. Okay, write down for me what exactly took place when you blew up at your wife. Okay, why did you respond with sinful anger against your wife again? Okay, write down all the circumstances that led up to that, and let's talk through that. Okay, now, next time this happens, how's, how's another... What's another way that you can respond? Hey, how else could you respond rightly? What's a what's a godly way to respond to your spouse when when she res, when she does something that you don't like? Okay, and then and then next time we we have that temptation that comes, how did you respond? And we keep working through that. So help them with the where and the when and the how. And then assistance. Accountability provides assistance. Often a person. Um, wants to do what's right, knows what is right, but needs someone to help think through what to say and what spirit to have. Okay, so for example, you know, the way that my spouse is treating me right now is actually demeaning to me. And, it, and it's really discouraging. And I don't know how to handle this. Do I just keep ignoring it? Um, maybe there does need to be a, a hard conversation that needs to take place between that person and their spouse. And so now you're you're coming alongside and saying, listen, let's talk through this. What what kind of things can you say? What spirit can we say this in? You know, what what are the biblical principles that need to be that need to be said? Or maybe it's a, a boss um, who's just calling you to do unrighteous things, and you're saying, listen, I need to talk to him because I can't do these things that he's asking me to do. And so a difficult conversation, accountability provides assistance, assistance saying, listen, all right, let's talk through these. Before you get to that place, we'll, we'll work through these uh, together. Encouragement. Uh, once a person heads down the path of the change, uh, they may know where they're going. They may, they may want to go there. They may know how to go there. You know, you've helped them with that part of it. But then what happens is they're going down the path and the temptation comes back. Okay, so they need encouragement. Someone just to come alongside them and say, listen, how's it going this week? You know, I've been praying for you. I've been praying that you've been, you would be able to overcome this temptation. Is, how's, it, how's it coming? And um, we need someone that, that stands alongside us and says, you know, like in the, the marathon, you know, you get down to mile 20 and you're just like, man, I can't even feel my legs. I, I, I don't want to run anymore. Okay, I, I've done a lot more than anybody else 
would have done. I, I know a lot of people are sitting on their couch right now. So, so I'm, I'm fine. This is enough. And we need someone who's on the sideline for us saying, keep going. You're not done yet. Get to the finish line. And so we need encouragement. And then we need a warning. Sometimes, uh, you know, someone heads down the path toward change and, you know, we encourage them along the way, but they give up anyway. And they just don't want to do the work. It's just too hard. And so we come alongside and, to, you know, back to the marathon illustration, they, they just pull off on the side and they're like starting to take their shoes off and say, listen, you're not going to get a reward. There's no reward for finishing 20 of the 26 miles. So, so finish. Just, just get back up and do it. And, and, and the point is that for Christians, listen, there's no reward for giving up. We, we need to persevere all the way till the end. You reap what you sow. And, and genuine believers follow through all the way until the end. So don't give up. All right, so, so accountability is critical in that way. So let's just uh, do a little bit of review of the, the whole process of living an ambassadorial lifestyle. That is, we are speaking on behalf of Christ truth into these people so that they change. And the summary of this kind of lifestyle um, the ministry lifestyle, a person in need of change, helping others in need of change. We need God and His truth to live as we are meant to live. We were created to worship Him and to depend on Him. Secondly, um, every believer is called by God to be instruments of change. We might like to leave that to the professionals and say, well, I don't, don't know enough about the Christian walk to, to really help anybody. But if you know enough to help your own self, then you know enough to help someone else. And, um, and ministry takes place within our current relationships. The, the main proof for this, by the way, is Ephesians chapter 4 that says that we speak the truth to one another. It doesn't say that the pastors and teachers have the responsibility only to speak the truth. Certainly they do. But, but, but each member, I believe, uh, that's why he goes on and uses the illustration of of members within a body. You know that that we are each are providing we are providing what each joint supplies, and and uh, as a part of this church, we have a responsibility to one another to help them change. Thirdly, our behavior is rooted in the thoughts and motives of our hearts. So, so any idea that just moves toward behaviorism that just says, okay, well here's the bad behaviors. Let's see you start doing the good behaviors. No, we want to see them have a heart change. And that's why we, we didn't start with this last part. Did you notice that? The, the provide accountability, head them on the right path. Start. You don't start out by saying, all right, here's all the things you need to do. Start doing it. No, first you start out with the motivation. You start with the heart. Okay, listen, do you recognize the reason that you're going down that wrong path is because of your heart. Okay, this, this, this reveals something in your heart. You show them Scripture that... That reveals that. And now, here's what kind of heart you need to have. And then as you see their heart change. Then you start giving them some guardrails. Okay, here's some things that you need to do. Start moving on toward change. But behaviorism is not enough on its own. Thirdly, we are ambassadors for Christ. Uh, we represent the Lord to people around us. And so, and we need to uh, desire the same thing that God desires, right? He desires their individual change and he desires our corporate change next to lead people to change we must show the love of christ to them we need to identify with their suffering extend grace as we call them to change 
We need to show love to them. And then in ministering to people, we must guard against false assumptions. This is the no aspect. Okay, guard against the false assumptions. And we do this by asking good questions um, and interpreting their situation in a biblical way. Don't just assume that you know what's going on. And then uh, next we must speak the truth in love. We point... Um, we point the word, them to the Word of God and show them the, that God's Word is the means of their change and the source of it. And then finally, we clarify responsibility and offer loving accountability and remind them of their identity in Christ. Okay, so that's what we looked at today and, and uh, four weeks ago. Okay, so the basics of helping people change comes down to loving people, knowing them, speaking the truth to them, and helping them to do what God has called them to do. All right. Any questions? Comments? All right. You are equipped to counsel. And um, next week we'll see how you do because we're going to look at how to handle someone who's dealing with depression. Um, And uh, we want to think through biblical principles and much of what we've learned and try to apply them to a specific situation. Someone who's dealing with depression, how do we handle someone like that? And uh, that actually will be our last session of this um, of this 13-week class on biblical counseling. Then we'll move on to um, to uh, spreading the the truth. That is evangelism. All right. Any thoughts or questions? All right. I don't have a certificate for you, but God knows. All right. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for. Uh, your word and how it instructs us. Lord, thank you for people who have come alongside us in our lives who are coming alongside us now and encouraging us and helping us move toward the right path toward uh, faith and faithfulness. We pray that you would help us to be instruments of change and not to just be happy to to sit out and, and do nothing and just accept all the, the encouragement and, and be just recipients of um, other people's care for us, but help us to be people who care and who seek to provoke one another to love and good works. Pray for your grace as we do this. In Jesus' name, amen.